Of a comma, daf nun tes. We're starting from the bottom of nun ches amid beis, uh, about ten lines up. Amalei abay lerava. We're in the middle of discussing the halacha when an animal damages someone else's fruit by eating the fruit. So the halacha is you don't pay the market value of the fruit, but rather you assess how much that fruit uh, would reduce the value of a field sixty times bigger than it. Uh, if the damage was done in the field, how much would the price of the field drop? And the Gemara is questioning, do I say the same kula when a person does damage, like a person chopped down a tree, you don't assess the value of the tree, but rather you assess how much it would reduce the value of a field where it was in? Or do I say, no, when a person does damage, he just pays straight up uh, the value of the tree. So I'm going to buy the What is your reason uh, for saying that we don't do this kula where the person himself does damage? The Tanya must be that you're based on the following, the following b'risa. Let's say someone destroys a vineyard of his friend when the fruit was budding. So you're trying to figure out how much is the damage. The fruit wasn't complete. It was budding at the time. We try to view how much the vineyard was worth before the damage. The kami yafal and how much it was worth afterwards, and you pay the difference. But it doesn't say that the area that he destroyed is assessed relative to a vineyard, which is sixty times bigger. So that's a riot. It seems like the rava that when you damage with your own hands, you're not you're paying the value in the, you're, you're you're paying the full value, not relative to a bigger field, but Stam, you're paying the value of what you did. But does that arrive? Even when an animal does damage, we see that a bride will, 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 will say the same type of language and not necessarily speak out that it's done relative to a field bigger than it. Titania says in another bride, so come in a deal. Let's say an animal cuts down a young tree that belonged to somebody else. Those who make zeros in Yushalayim, they say, if a tree in the first year, you have to pay two miles of silver. If it's a tree in the second year, he pays four ma of silver. In other words, there's like a minimum that uh, you always have to pay. It was, it was a takana, as a fine. One art straw always to be developed. So you cut down a tree, uh, your animal cuts down trees in your, in your shalai, and then you're always, you're always paying a certain, a certain a fine for it. Is if it eats grain that just sprouted, we judge the loss by what remains in the field, meaning you wait until the rest of the field is ready to be harvested. We see how much it's worth at that time. Um, and you see basically it's the potential, how much would have been worth at the harvest had it been allowed to grow. And that's the amount you have to pay, even though the damage occurred when the grain was, when the grain was still unripe. No, you look how much the land was worth before the damage, how much it was worth afterwards, and you pay the difference. Meaning, you don't look at the potential value. You only look at the value was when it was damaged. You pay the difference between the market value with the young stocks and the market value after it was damaged. The a third case here, the rice of Mother, if it ate grapes that were first budding, uh, we view them as though they were gifts ready to be picked, meaning you would say how much it would have been worth at the time that it would <coughs> that would ripen. You look at how much it, how much the damage affected when how much the damage did at the time now, how much it was the field was worth before the damage occurred, and how much it was worth afterwards. And the, and, and, and now continues the Gemara. The next time, when is it true that, that, that the damage part is evaluated with the lambs? That's all where it eats grapevine, like the shoots of a grapevine or the shoots of a fig tree. So it's really things that are more related still to the, to, to, to the ground. If the shoots are damaged, there we say only for how much the lamb went down. If you're eating half-ripe figs or half-ripe grapes, so it's, it's already growing, then we look at them like they're grapes or figs, which are ready, which are ready to be picked, and you pay the price it would cost in the market after being harvested.
So, anyways, where are we going from this? So, Katani Mia said, anyway, so big machlik is tanoam when you, when you damage something which is still in the middle of growing if you pay for the future or for what it is right now. But Katani Mia, what's one thing that it says in the Chacham? We see how much the land is worth before the damage and how much it's worth after the damage. But it doesn't say relative to a field 60 times larger, even though that's certainly la halacha that are with damages that, that are done by the animal. How come it didn't make that? Even though it didn't omit that point that it's done relative to a bigger field, it certainly is done relative to a field 60 times larger. So too, when the person did the damage with his own hands, even though the first price omitted that, when he did the damage with his own hands, it didn't say, it said you did it, you, you, you assessed the damage relative to the field, but it didn't say relative to a bigger field. But we should assume that's just an omission from the price. But certainly the halacha is true that even Benizke Gufo, with his own hands, it's still done relative to a bigger field. Okay, so that's a machlokas. That's a, a bit unsettled. So now, what do we go back now? This Iker Machlikas that we just saw in the price of someone damages unripe grain, do you pay for what would have been worth at the harvest time if it would have been allowed to grow? Or do you say, how much did I damage at the time of the damage? That you go for the future and, and, and Rabbi Shmuel hold it the same thing. The Pasuk says, when, when there's damage in the field, you pay the best of the field. So what does it mean, the best of his field? Rabbi Shmuel says it means the best of the Nizik's field. We'll interpret that. What exactly does that mean? We're going to eventually say what that means, what, have been, what, what the stuff would have been worth in its best state. In other words, if I damaged it while it was still growing, I pay not what it's worth at the time of the damage, but rather what it would, have been, what it would be worth at the time that it would be finished growing. No, you're making way too big of a deal out of it. It just means the best of the mazik's fields. And that all the Pasuk is saying is that when you collect from the mazik, you collect from, from his karka, from the best of his lands. The same thing applies with, with, with hektish. If someone has to pay land for damaging Hakdish, he has to give from the best land. Okay, so now what did Rabbi Yishmael mean? Rabbi Yishmael is saying that you pay from the best of the field, the Nisik's field. Lo temik Rabbi Dibravin, the Rabbi Dibravin, Rabbi Dibravin said it meant something else. Going to Akla Rukunamay, because maybe it's the case where the animal ate one of the rows of the victim's fields. But we don't have the evidence. We don't know what is it. Was it a, a poor row or a really superior row that was eaten? So if there's a suffix, what was eaten? What does the suffix and the value of the damage? Rabbi Shmuel tells the damager, go pay from the, from the best. Based upon the best one that is now. So if we look at the field and we see that there's one row which is worth more than the others, we don't say that the row in question which was eaten was probably uh, equal to that. That's not right. We actually don't say that. If you don't know, it's a suffix if you should take away money. So you don't take away money. So the burden of proof would be actually upon the Nizik to prove that it was such an amazing field, a uh, row which was eaten. So we, that's not what it means. So rather, what it means is that if you know exactly what was eaten, but it was in the middle of growing, you pay based upon the value that it would have when it's done growing in the future. Like exactly the value when it was about to be harvested. Like we're saying that Rabbi Small and Rebus exactly the same say the same you say that when an animal eats from the fruit which is in the middle of growing, we assess the potential for what it would have been, not in the moment now. Now we go back and quote the bride. When is it true that it, the damaged produce is valued with the field? Only if it ate shoots or, or shoots of the fig trees or grapevines. So it sounds like that opinion is old if it would eat a budding grape, which is first growing, then you would look at the future for what it would be at that point, right? There's different stages here. There's the shoots, then there's budding grapes, and then there's half ripe. So it sounds like he's specifying only when it was a, a shoot of a grapevine 
that then you assess it by the karka. But if it would be a budding grape, then you would look at it like a grape ready to be picked. But Amos Eva, at the end, what did he say? He said, if you ate half ripe figs, right, there you assess based upon their future. Only there, where it's half growing, do you assess it based upon what a potential would be when it would be ready to be picked. Which it sounds like Hasmandar, the middle where it's first budding, you would assess it with the karka. So basically there's three stages. The shoots, the first budding, and the half ripe. So when it's half ripe, this opinion includes as you do for what its potential will be when it's fully ripe. When it's the shoots, we clearly see this opinion says that you assess based upon the land. But the question is, what about that middle stage of when it is first budding? So Amravina Krofatani, you bundle the cases together and you read it like this. But when is it true that the damage produce is evaluated with the land? That's all the shoots of the grapevines of the shoot the shoots of the fig trees. But if it ate the budding grapes or half-ripe figs or half-ripe grapes, in all of those cases, then we say it's assessed for its potential, what the fruit would have been worth at the time it's about to be picked. So what, what does that mean? Now, Rabbi Shimon says, budding, budding grapes are, are, are considered like like they're about to be picked. So, it's the same opinion of Rabbi Yeshua, who already said in the Bride, that the budding grapes <coughs> but even budding grapes are viewed like with the potential. Says the Gemara, you're right, they're both saying the same thing, that budding grapes are assessed based upon their potential value, what they'd be worth at the time of the harvesting, but they're arguing about a different point. What about the weakening of the vine? What do we mean? Yes, it's true, you're paying for the potential and the grapes at that point, how much they'd be worth when they're going to be harvested. But if the grapes would have remained on the vine, they also would have weakened it because they're drawing nourishment. So now, actually, since they're not growing, there's actually something that the Nizik is, is, is benefiting. He's not going to be losing on the, on, 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 on the strength of the vine. So it was a weird thing. You're paying for the potential <clears throat> of how much the grape would be, but at the same time, I'm benefiting you by not actually having the grape there, drawing the nourishment from the grape from, from, and weakening the vine. So therefore, maybe that amount you could reduce from how much you pay. However, which opinion says which? We can't tell which opinion says which. In other words, we just know there must be some even though they both agree you're paying for the value of the fruits, not now when they're half ripe, but based upon the future when they'll be ready to be harvested. But one opinion is saying, but you reduce a little bit for how much it's the vine now is not being sapped from, from is, is not going to be weakened. And one opinion doesn't say that. Which opinion is which? We don't know. We could figure out which opinion says which. Who's the Tana that takes into account what the weakening of the vine that that shouldn't have to be paid? The Tana says in Brysa. Someone is rapes a woman. <clears throat> so he has to pay all these payments in the Torah, but he doesn't have to pay for pain. Why? Because that pain of the, of the ripping of the hymen, that would have happened anyways by her husband. So that benefit that now, the next time that she's going to get married, that she won't have to go through that pain, that little amount, she doesn't have to pay. Amrullah, they said, No, it's different because the tsar here is more since it happened forcibly. So therefore, he does have to compensate for pain. Okay, so that's my looks. You have to compensate for pain. But the svara of the atzim, that even though you... He, he paused her pain, but Lamaisa, it's a benefit that in the future she won't have to go through that pain. So we see that's the type of Sarvashimi that takes account. So he'll say the same thing over here that even though. I took away your fruits. Lamaisa, I brought a benefit that now your grapevine doesn't get weakened, so I could reduce a little bit. These following Tanam and the following Bias, Rishim Yudah hold the same thing. Rishim Yudah, Amar, Hai Tanayah, Amai, what other Tanam hold like this? He said, Tanya, Rabbi Yosi, Omer, Gavi, Nake Chai, deduct the fee for a midwife. Remember, we're talking, 
We spoke about the case of Dmei Vladas, where a person causes a woman to miscarry, he pays for the value of the fetus. But Rabbi Yossi says, you take away the fee for the midwife, because Lamaise, she's not going to give birth, so she won't have to pay for a midwife. So the value of the fee of the midwife, that you don't have, that you could de- uh, deduct. Benazi Omer, Benazi says, Nachim uh, Mizonas, you can deduct the cost of the extra food that she would have been uh, provided had the pregnancy continued. So meaning when you're paying the husband, the husband gained by, by the loss of pregnancy because now he doesn't have to supply her with extra food that she needs to eat while she's pregnant. So you could deduce that amount. On the you says you, do, you deduce the payment for the midwife. Certainly, you deduct the cost of the extra food. And the one who says you deduct the cost of the extra food, he would say, you don't deduct the payment for the midwife. Why? The husband says to the attacker, it's a my wife is an expert. She might not need a midwife. Meaning every pregnant woman needs extra food, that's certainly he gains from. But the, needing, needing a midwife is not necessarily so clear as going, that he's going to need it. All right, now the Gemara goes back to that case where someone cut down someone else's palm tree. The rich Galusa was saying he have to pay the value of the tree. Rav Nachman said, you look at it as the deduction from the value of 60 sucks, of 60 trees with their land, how much such a piece of land would go down. So how do we pass? They did lakula for the mazik that you only have to pay relative to land 60 times the size. They've added the palm tree with a small piece of land. Land that has um, that, that, that uh, of sixty trees. Those like our papa, our puna, baby Shua, but they go to our mala. Allah is like our papa, baby Shua. If it was an Armenian palm tree, those like of us at the rich Galusa, but they go to our saw. Allah is like the rich Galusa if it was a Persian palm tree. Persian palm tree, Rashi explains, is very valuable, so it makes sense that it should have an independent assessment. But a regular palm tree, there we could say lakula. We do it aga sixty times. I got a piece of land that was 60 times the size. Says the Gemara, Allah's the younger one. Top of the base. He's wearing black shoes. Usually black shoes is eaten by someone, are worn by people who are mourning. He's standing in the market of an Arda Ashka, the Rish Galusa, the people of the Rish Galusa find him dressed that way. I'm really saying, my shrine, why are you wearing these shoes? I'm a little, he said, I'm mourning over the shocks from Yushalayim. I'm a little, he said, you think you're so important to mourn over Yushalayim? You're just a regular guy. You don't really care. Some of you are who they thought it was just a haughty thing. They took him and they threw him in prison. Amalu, he said, I'm actually a great person. How do we know? Amalu, he said, So if you want, you could ask me something. I'll give you an answer. I'll ask you something. If you won't have an answer, you'll see I'm great. You ask us something. Amalu, he said, I'm on the cuffs. Good for a person who cuts down someone else's dates that are still in the middle of budding. My Mishalim, what should he pay? You pay the value of budding dates. That's exactly what their value was in their current state. So, so he said back, well, I have a time rate, but eventually we're going to give him a ripe date. So the potential, you haven't really compensated him for his loss by, by paying the value of half ripe dates. You're right, great point. You should pay the value of totally ripe dates. He said, he didn't take that. So therefore, you shouldn't have to pay more than what he actually what he actually took. So he's bringing out this complexity. When you someone damages half ripe things, it doesn't really make sense either way. Which you pay for 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 more more than he damaged doesn't make sense. But if he pays for less, that's not really compensating the victim for what was lost. So they said, you tell us. If it's done to a field. Uh, in relation to a field 60 times larger, then the damage area makes sense because you're never paying for the dates themselves. You're paying for the reduction in the fruit. Now it makes sense because 
the value of the field with the with the half with with the half ripe fruits will always take into account the fact that they grow bigger and so on and so forth. So therefore, the market value by doing it in relation to a field will make it fair. Who says like you? He said, "Shmuel is alive and his court exists." Now, they wanted to know Shmuel how like that. He said, "Correct that it's done in relation to a field sixty times larger to and they released him." So this is the opinion that even when when a person does damage. When a person does damage, we still say that it is assessed relative to a field 60 times bigger. Okay, now we get back to Reb Shimon's opinion. Reb Shimon says, if it ate totally ripe produce, then it pays the value of the produce, not the depreciation of the land. So, I mean, we've had many different opinions about this, but in the mission, Reb Shimon was saying that once the fruit is ripe, then you pay for the value of the fruit itself as if it was de- de- um, a, a detached from the land, not the depreciation for the land. My time, but what is his source for this? So... The reason we're asking, he says, that it's related to the field. So why, why are you saying that you assess the market value for the thing itself just because it's ripe? So the Gemara answers, this that the Torah says, which teaches you that you, you evaluate relative to the field. That's only when it still needs the field, when it's still growing. But honey, in our case, the ripe fruits, once they don't need the field any longer, then you have to pay for them all on their own. Whereas the Tanakama, he disagreed. He held even ripe produce is still evaluated relative to a field. Rav was like Rameir in a different case. And he said, Allah was like Rav Shimon in our Mishnah. What is this Rameir case? A different thing. Don Rameir, Rameir, with this, that Rav says like Rebbe Meir is in the following halacha, the Tanya Nebraisa. Here we're talking about a husband who sells fields during his marriage. Let's just understand something like Suba, the woman has a shibud, she has a lien on her husband's properties to collect. So, so here we're talking about a case where husband husband's uh, selling, selling fields and she's not protesting. So, so what, what, what do we make of the woman's silence? So if, if she wrote, he writes a deed, he's selling the property during, to a first buyer and, and, the, and the woman did not sign for him an agreement. She didn't show that she was good with it. But then he wrote another deed to a second field, to a second buyer, and the wife did sign for him that she was masking with it. She, she's basically saying in the front of witnesses that she agrees to the sale and it doesn't bother her that her lien is being sold. Of the Ksuvah, so she can't collect either of the Ksuvah. She can't collect from either field. Why? The first field she can't collect from because the, the, the Shibut is really on the, on the second one because you sell the first one, there's still the second one that's free. So she can't collect from the first one. And the second one, she's kind of waived her rights because she signed off on it. She agreed to it being sold. That's Rameir. We assume she was Mochel, her Shibut. Rebuzer says, she could say, I was only trying to please my husband. What claim do you have against me? Meaning, even though I agreed to the sale, I didn't actually Mochel my, my Shibut. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, she could say that I wasn't really being mocha my shibud. I just wanted to please my husband in relating to the second sale, and therefore she could still collect from the sale. The second one was Rabbi Meir saying no. Well, once she, she signed an off, off on it, then she was totally, um, she's, she's mocha it, and therefore she can't collect it all. So here, Rabbi Basel is like Rabbi Meir. Basel was like In our case, Kiyat did not like an arm. If she eats, if the animal eats ripe produce, Mishlamas pairs Kimurin, the owner has to pay the value of ripe produce. If it was a saw, he pays the saw. If it was two saw, he pays for the value of two saw. Now the mission continues. So we're still talking about Shane here. Someone piles up grain in his fellows in, in, in someone else's field. He doesn't have permission. He just sticks his grain in his friend's field. And then the animal that own that belongs to the owner of the field eats them. Potter, the owner of the field is exempt from liability. Because who told you to put it in my yard? 
Moreover, most of them, if the animal got injured by it, the owner of the stack is liable to pay. But let's say it slips on the grain, so then the owner of the stack is liable because he basically put a liability, a hazard in his friend's yard. They make this shows, but if he piled it up with permission, he had permission to put it there, and then then the owner of the field is liable. He has to pay for damage if his animal ate the grain or something like that. So we're going on the last part of the Mishnah. If I allowed you to, to keep your stuff in, so then the assumption is that I'm going to make sure my animal doesn't eat it. This is not like Didn't we say that maybe I'm just saying you could keep it here, but I'm not saying that I accept responsibility that nothing's going to happen to it. Rabbi says, I'm allowing you to keep it. It doesn't mean I'm going to guard it. Our Mishnah sounds not like that. Once I say you could keep it here, then I have to guard it. So it sounds like our Mishnah is not like Rabbi. Amar Papa. You're dealing with a watchman. It wasn't just, oh, keep it here. You're dealing with a person who is a watchman. That is what he does. If he says, put your grain here, clearly he is saying, I'll watch it for you. But a regular person, a neighbor says, oh, can I keep this here? You say, yeah, you can keep it here. That doesn't necessarily mean keep it here and I'll watch it. Like that is the opinion. That is the opinion of, um, of Rabbi and our Mishnah may in fact be following him. Okay, now we move to Ish. Someone who sends, who sends a fire in the hands of Adam, he's not liable to pay. The court cannot make him pay because the, the kid did the damage on him. But through Bidine Shamayim, he is liable. If he sends a fire in the hands of a person who is a Pikech, and the Pikech is going to be high. The second person is liable. The court can find him uh, liable as well. A different scenario, if one person brings a fire, another person brings the wood and puts it on the fire. The second person who brought the wood is higher from what happens afterwards. Why? Because if not for the second person of the wood, the first one wouldn't have accomplished anything. So it's only because of the wood that it was able to move, so the second guy is liable. The inverse, one person just puts down wood, and the second person puts fire that kindles the wood, and maybe it's archive. Clearly, the second person who brought the fire is liable for any ensuing damage because the first guy who put the wood wouldn't have done anything without the second guy. The third person comes and he fans it out. I'm liable. The one who fans it is liable. We're talking in the case where basically that um, that the fire required fanning, or else it wouldn't have been dangerous and wouldn't have been able to move with the normal wind and done damage. So now the one who fanned it is the one who's making it dangerous. He's liable. If the wind fanned the cool and bitter, they're all potter. So in other words, even though on this case. One who brought the, the, the one person fire, one person wood, and person fanned it. It was still we needed the wind to make it dangerous. So now nobody is chayev. Now there's a whole question over here. What kind of wind are we talking about? Some of you showed him say that even if it is a ruach mitzuya, a normal wind, um, but we still say that they are that, that, that they are potter. Why? Because here you didn't make it. By itself, the Torah says, "Hamaver sabeira." The one person who makes the fire, you have to make the fire yourself. So even though a normal wind created the fire, there's still no liability because it needed the wind for the fire to get off the ground. So you have to first make the make the fire, and then if a normal wind moves it, you're liable. But over here, where you needed the wind itself to make the fire, in other words, the wind the, the fire wasn't really off the ground before about moving, wasn't really after the off the ground without 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 the wind. So then, then there's no chiyuv. Uh, there's no chiv at all. Says the Gemara, we go back to the first thing. If someone gave a fire to a chayr shayt of a katan, so we say you don't have to pay in the in 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 court here in this world. Only b'dinah shemayim. So Amar That's only you gave him a, a coal. A coal in and of itself is not dangerous unless it's fanned out. So therefore, you're potter because you didn't give him something which could da- which could damage the way it was. Maslach shayim. You give him a flame which could damage as it is chayv. Then you are liable. My time. My Your actions cause it. You gave him a, a, a flame which could damage as is, and you know they can't watch it. 
know, even if you give him the flame, you're still potter for under under Dine Adam. My time, it's also Cherish Karmelo. The control of the Cherish is actually what brought it about. I Meaning, even though it's a very dangerous thing, the flame. But uh, it wouldn't have been, it, the, 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 the mice or the hezek happened only through what the cherish did. It wasn't an automatic thing that the fire did it. It was through the action of the cherish, and therefore I'm not liable. The only way you'd be chayv is if you gave him actual thorns, a sultan, wood chips, a shark, and a flame, there you're for sure chayv. In other words, basically, in that case, it's, it's tantamount to the person making the, making, it, it's almost inevitable when you give it to the cherish, you're giving him the ready flame, and this is basically like you made the flame itself. But just by giving him uh, a flame, but without giving him all the, the wood chips and stuff and stuff to do, so then it's still considered the act of the cherish. But if I give him everything and I'm making it totally inevitable, so there even Rabbi Yochanan will agree that the person who gave it to him is Chayav Bedini Adam.